You're listening to The Central Cast, recorded each week in front of a live audience in Glendale, California. Well, thanks for being here again, everyone. Um, I, of course, wanted to uh, remind everybody that uh, we will be taking communion later in the service here. So um, grab elements if you haven't done so already. And as you all know, whatever you have around the house is what uh, we make uh, something sacred happen from our very ordinary objects and elements. Um, And uh, of course, I I know we talked about um, Israel and uh, Palestine and the conflict happening in Gaza last week. And um, I'm I'm glad to say, I'm sure that you've seen as well, um, that there has been a ceasefire um, in place, but things are obviously very tumultuous still. And this is a really important um, and um, gosh, I mean, it's not like we're going to see a simple resolution to a centuries old uh, conflict and, uh, and certainly not to an occupation that's happened uh, since uh, the 1940s. Um, so while it is very complicated, one thing that I always like to think about um, and I'm always reminded of is that our God continually shows himself through the very complex and difficult scriptures that we read um, to be a God of the marginalized and oppressed. And so as we look at this situation, it's hard um, not to see the need for change and bending to happen, especially upon the side of an occupying power Um, with, as Max pointed out last week, the second most powerful military force in the world. Um, So it's a tragic situation. I'm thankful for the ceasefire happening, um, but I know there's still a lot more attention that we need here. And this is something that's going to probably occupy our space for a bit here. I'm also hopeful that we can come to a place of peace in all of it. Um, And that is what we work in our lives for, um, what we gathered together in this community is to make our voices known. Um, And so as we start our service off this morning, I wanted to um, share in um, those opening prayers and those opening pieces of liturgy um, here about the conflict in Gaza um, and in occupied Palestine. And, um, And so I am going to share my screen here and we'll open with a call to worship, which we don't often do, but it's traditionally a way for um, us to proclaim together the setting aside of this space for something holy. Um, And then I'll open us in prayer and I have a a short responsive reading for us as well. So I'm sharing my screen here now. Would you join me as we proclaim this call to worship together? Of course, as we've done in the past, I'll read the parts not in bold and we'll respond together with the parts in bold. 
gather in our hearts, Lord. Bring peace through our words. Through our words. Gather in our hearts, Lord. Bring peace through our listening. Gather in our hearts, Lord. Bring peace through our actions. Gather in our hearts, Lord. Let's pray. God of peace, encourage those who are seeking to establish fair and just peace in the Middle East. Bless their efforts as they work to end conflict. Leave those who engage in violence to put down their weapons and to live in peace with one another. In your mercy, Lord, hear our prayer. God of justice, bless those who work for peace through justice. Strengthen their resolve in the face of seemingly endless violence. Guide the leaders of the people of the Middle East to know your will and to support a just peace for all of your children. God of love, lifting up the Holy Land for all humankind, Breathe love and compassion into our prayers with a desire for nothing other than peace. Peace in our hearts, peace for all creation, and especially peace in a land that's called holy by so many people. God of mercy, even as we long to understand that which is often beyond our comprehension, we lay before you our hearts, our minds, our bodies, and all those suffering from conflict in the occupied Palestine territory in Israel from an ongoing occupation. Shower upon all the people of this holy land the spirit of justice and reconciliation. God of the nations, give to all our people the blessings of well-being, freedom, and harmony. And above all things, give us faith in you that we might be strengthened to care for all those in need. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As I share my screen again here, um, this is a prayer for um, intercession that has a piece of um, silence and um, again, I'll read the parts not in bold. We'll pray together the parts in bold. Um, let's pray together. We pray for the torn and divided people of Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, Iraq, for refugees and uprooted families, for all living in camps and for those who assist them and for all who've been bereaved, injured, and traumatized. We pray for, pray for all, all who suffer in the midst, in the midst of, of a new conflict and attack. We pray for Israelis living with the threat of rocket fire, for Palestinians in the West Bank subjugated to the violation of their civil liberties and human rights, living under the constraints of military occupation and settler harassment. We pray for the people of Gaza living under blockade and repeated military bombardment, adding fear to the misery of poverty and want. 
We pray for children, pray for children and young people, and people caught up in terror, and terror beyond their beyond understanding the and control. control. We pray for those who have been killed, maimed, bereaved, those who have had their futures torn away from them, those whose lives are bleak, lacking opportunity, mobility, and hope. We repent of our complicity in silence, of closing our eyes to the needs and well-being of the children and our failure to reject the ways of violence, threat, and injustice. We pray in the name, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ our, our peace and, hope. and our, hope. our hope. Let's take a moment of silence together. Lord, hear our prayers as we lift our voices together and proclaim. May our silence, our silence speak, speak the peace, peace of, God. of God. God. May our May silence, silence sing the peace of, of God. God. May our May silence, silence bring about, bring about the, the peace of God. God. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Bob. As uh, Bob mentioned, we'll be taking communion as we do each week. So if you haven't been able to grab something, please feel free to do so now. <clears throat> um, who, does anyone know what day it is, what Sunday it is on the liturgical calendar? Aaron does, That's, that doesn't count. Anyone else? <laughs> no, yeah. Um, it's, just, it's Pentecost Sunday. David um, knew. So, David David Mitchell knew. Oh, I'm seeing right. I'm seeing the I'm seeing the clapping. Oh, yeah, the clapping never mind. Emoji. I thought there was a hand raised. <laughs> oh no, he says yes. He no, says he yes. has it. David's on it. So it's Pentecost Sunday, and I, as we often talk, um, as we go through the liturgical um, calendar, and celebrate um, and observe different pieces. Um, for example, like Advent each year and Lent um, each year. Um, these different parts of the liturgical calendar epiphany um, that many of us did not grow up um, with. Some of us did, of course. Um, but I wanted to just just cover Pentecost a little tiny bit here as, as we do our communion um, this week. So the main the main understanding um, that we have um, as the church about what Pentecost was um, comes from the book of Acts chapter two. And I'm just going to read the first few verses to, to set um, some of the context of where this comes from. Bob, Max, I wore my red for today. 
Oh, wow. There you go. Wow. You look like Superman, Bob. Um, if Superman had a mustache. All right. So this is from Acts 2. When Pentecost Day arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound from heaven like the howling of a fierce wind filled the entire house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be individual flames of fire alighting on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them to speak. There were pious Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. When they heard this sound, a crowd gathered. They were mystified because everyone heard them speaking in their native languages. They were surprised and amazed, saying, look, aren't all the people who are speaking Galileans, every one of them? How then can each of us hear them speaking in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, as well as residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the regions of Libya bordering Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the mighty works of God in our own languages. They were all surprised and bewildered. Some asked each other, what does this mean? Others jeered at them saying, they are full of new wine. I'll stop there. There's more for those of you who want to keep reading in Acts 2. <clears throat> but um, so Pentecost in the church has become the day uh, celebrated when um, the, the giving of the Holy Spirit or um, the Holy Spirit, this concept um, that you're probably very familiar with in some to some level, this third entity of the Trinity um, is sort of introduced and comes into the world. And um, I think there's a lot to talk about there and many denominations have a lot of different approaches to this, but I'm always struck by this, this passage and the way that Pentecost was introduced in, the, in um, how it was literally about being for everyone. It was literally about being um, a greater understanding and experience of diversity of every tongue, right? Every language and all being together. Um, and really when you, when you read Acts these days, you can find a lot of those um, in which um, stories in which the early believers, your early followers of this, of this uh, Galilean rabbi um, sharing uh, life together, pooling their resources, helping the most needy among them, um, welcoming and embracing people from all over the world um, of every language and being able to do so through this concept of the Holy Spirit. Um, and I, I think the word that always comes to mind when I read this is radical. Um, and Aaron's going to be talking about Pete Rollins um, and radical theology and, and some of where that comes from. But uh, it's, it's good timing, I feel, because although many churches, including many of our own, have tended to neuter uh, our understanding of what the Holy Spirit um, symbolized and represented in the scripture and what the stories were um, involving in those days. When we return to the text, sometimes we just see how wild it is, right? And how radical it is. So with that, um, I'm gonna read uh, just a, um, a very short uh, little prayer entry into our time of communion. Um, this comes from Enfleshed. I'll actually, I'll drop it down in the chat um, so you can read it along. And then we will take communion together. Hear these words as our prayer. 
Holy Spirit, divine breath, wild winds of change. She comes to rattle all that cages, to provoke with prophecies, to disturb the quiet of evil's routines. In her presence, all the earth trembles with anticipation of freedom. A weary world is roused with hope. She awakens the senses to the nearest nearness of salvation. She is the power of God poured out among us. So today, on this Pentecost Sunday and each day as we hear and think of the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God or the breath of God or many of the different ways we symbolize this aspect of the divine, may we remember uh, to rattle all that cages to disturb evil, the quiet of evil's routines um, and um, be roused with hope um, and do the work of the people of God. So with that, uh, if you would take your cracker or your bread today, I have a Girl Scout cookie because it's all that I could grab without making noise because Mira fell asleep on the couch uh, and coffee and at your own pace, please, brothers, sisters, siblings, neighbors, take the bread and eat and the cup and drink. Amen. All right, thank you, Max. Good morning, everyone. The only a new note this week that I wanted to bring up is just a reminder that Aaron and the board has sent out a survey. Um, just a reminder, if you could please um, send that in, that'd be super helpful so we know when to come back in person and what steps uh, we need to take to, to get back to normal. All right, thanks. I'm passing it on to Aaron now. And Angie, right along with that, if um, if you don't get emails from Central and you would like to be included in that or you want that link, please, you can drop that in the chat or send that directly to Aaron um, and we'll make sure that uh, that gets uh, updated on our list so that you can get the infrequent communications that we send out. Yeah, thanks, thanks Angie, thanks Bob. <clears throat> So prayer requests, uh, Whitney, thank you. I see that uh, email, thank you. Um, prayer requests, words of thanksgiving. Now is the time that we share our joys and concerns with, with each other. Does anybody have anything they want to share this morning? You can unmute or you can always put it in the chat window. I have one. Yeah, Max. Um, so one of my colleagues and, and friend, um, some of you have met him either from being in my office or at different party uh, parties, etc. Et throughout the years. Um, his name's Joel. Uh, his wife, um, Holly, uh, was diagnosed um, with a brain tumor on Thursday. She was rushed to the ER with um, troubling symptoms and they found a five centimeter brain tumor in her um, frontal lobe. So they have been in the hospital ever since. Um, they're planning for a biopsy tomorrow. 
And obviously this week we'll have a lot of news in that department in terms of prognosis and benign versus malignant and all those questions swirling. But as you can probably guess, they're a bit of a wreck. Um, they have a six-year-old named Wendell. Um, and so just prayers for, for Holly um, and Joel and, and little Wendell as they walk through this really scary, uncertain time. Yeah, let's pray. Loving God, we lift up Holly and this situation with the brain tumor and pray that we just commit her into um, your hands and the hands of these physicians. We pray for her healing. We pray for her mental health and well-being. We pray for the strength it takes to face such horrific news and the process that will unfold uh, in order to heal. We just lift up that entire family, especially uh, Wendell, the six-year-old, um, as this can be incredibly difficult for a child to understand. We pray for their strength and well-being as a family. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Max. Anybody else? With that, Max, I'm going to turn it over to you. All right, then. I have a song, music video to share. Um, this comes courtesy of May. Um, she shared this with me a little while back, and it's just a, a tremendous song. Um, it's a it's by an artist named Spencer LaJoy. I had not heard of them uh, before May shared, but um, this has quickly become one of my favorite songs. It's called The Plowshare Prayer. Um, I'll just read what Spencer um, wrote about it before I before I turn it on. Um, Spencer says, if you know me well, you know that I don't pray. It's not that I don't know how or that I don't think the practice can be fruitful. It's just that some of us get prayed it for in ways we don't want, in ways that don't honor us, in ways that re-closet us, in ways that short circuit our grief, in ways that pity us, in ways that really hurt. So I tend to avoid it in the name of do no harm. <clears throat> but I was tasked with writing a song for Juniper Formations prayer communion gathering on Monday. So I had to stare prayer in the face. And I thought, what would a prayer sound like if it was used as a balm instead of a weapon, a plowshare instead of a sword? So here's my go at that, a plowshare prayer. Um, and I think especially, uh, I resonate with this deeply, but especially again, as we talk about, you know, Pete Rollins this morning and deconstruction and the process of holding on to things and finding value in things, even as those things change and we let go of some things and deconstruct some pieces yet find meaning um, and, and power in some of the practices we're very used to. I think prayer is one of those big ones that, that us as a, as a community are struggling through to understand and what does it mean and what does it do? Um, so I think in light of all of that, this is um, a really, a really powerful song so I'll hopefully remember how to do this it's been a little while here you go Savior, dear 
Dear patiently waiting, dear sad and confused, dear stuck and abused, dear end of your rope, dear worn out and broke, dear go it alone, dear running from home, dear righteously angry, forsaken by family, dear jaded and quiet, dear tough and defiant, I
that you're heard And I pray That this works Well, there you go. <clears throat> I uh, hope uh, you enjoyed that as much as I do. Um, Max, can you drop that? I'll, uh, can, can, yeah, can you put that say. link in? Oh my um, god! It's a Facebook. Yeah, I know. Uh, it's a Facebook link, but yeah, I haven't found it outside of Facebook. But I'll, I'll, I'll share it. I, uh, oh, May, you've seen that before. I've never seen. May, it. May, May shared it with me. Oh, yeah, oh and, okay, I missed that part. Um, yeah, how do right, I follow? Right, how right. do I follow that up with an in-depth talk on Peter Ron? <laughs> I mean, that is incredible. That that alone was just a service all in itself. Oh my God, um, I I am just moved by that. Um, I feel like I need to take a moment. Um, wow. And Max, you're right in saying that that actually dovetails into the work of radical theology or Peter Rollins. Um, and ultimately that kind of understanding of prayer as a lived reality, a way of giving ourselves over to the world and, and essentially prayer as action, prayer as care for the other, prayer as an integrated way of living rather than you know, a kind of just pious thing we do. Um, that is really, I think, where Peter's work ultimately leads, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, that song is really what, what it's really all about. Um, and my, I just wanted to start by saying that and react to that, um, give myself a moment. Uh, wow. So as Max was saying, um, today is part four in, in our in a series we're in right now called Luminaries, where we're looking at the writers and thinkers and speakers and artists that have moved us most or shaped our spiritual journey the most. Uh, we've looked at uh, Rachel Held Evans. We've looked at feminist uh, theology. We've looked at um, Rob Bell last week. Today, we're looking at the work of Peter Rollins. Peter is probably the single most influential person in, in my work. He's not obviously the only person, uh, but he's, he's probably the single most biggest influence on my spiritual journey over the last um, eight years or so. He's also become a good friend and a mentor over the years, and I know many of you feel like he's been influential in your lives, and I want to hear about that today. I want to leave space for that. I always, you know, um, he's probably spoken at Central half a dozen times in some capacity um, over the last seven years or so, Quick background about Peter that's important to understand. He grew up in Belfast, Northern Ireland, uh, middle class, uh, working class, actually. Um, 
He grew up during a, a period of history in, in Northern Ireland called the Troubles, a time of profound sectarian infighting during the 19, 1970s and 80s where Catholics and Protestants were routinely waging guerrilla warfare against each other, really throughout Northern Ireland and even, even the Republican, Republic of Ireland as well. This, this sectarian infighting was not just religious in nature. In fact, it was probably more political in nature as the Protestants were loyalists to the United Kingdom and wanted to remain, keep Northern Ireland as part of the UK. And the Catholics were what's called Republicans or nationalists because they wanted one united Ireland and merge Northern Ireland with the Republic to the South. I think this, sectarian, this sectarianism had a profound impact on Peter and made him a, um, very skeptical of religion and the way that religion and politics are always intertwined and are human constructs rather than these unquestionable forms of divine revelation. He saw how religion and politics function as idols that divide us and that we use to give ourselves a sense of mastery over the world and over others and, and a sense of strong tribal identity, which in turn allows us to avoid a more meaningful encounter with the other and avoid acknowledging our own limitations and our own unknowing. Peter's uh, educational background, uh, his degrees, including a PhD, he is Dr. Rollins, <laughs> Uh, his, his degrees are in post-structural theory, what we would call postmodernism, political theory, and, and continental philosophy, continental meaning the continent of Europe. There's a whole tradition of philosophy that comes out of uh, the European continent. So that's Peter's cultural, spiritual, educational background, which is important to understand as, as we dive into uh, his work. There's so much we could cover today. <laughs> uh, and really the trick for me this week was eliminating things, things not to talk about. That's kind of the trick with this talk. Uh, so in the interest of time and uh, clarity, we're just gonna focus on defining his main project or his main school of thought, which he calls pyro theology. Pyro, of course, meaning fire. Theology meaning one's concept of God. <clears throat> you set ablaze your concept of God. We'll get into that in a second. Pyrotheology is a branch of what's called radical theology, aka death, death of God theology, which is a larger and older school of thought within, under the umbrella of liberal Christianity. And I, and I won't get into that for the sake of time and clarity. I won't get into defining what radical theology is. If, if you want to talk about that at the end, we can talk more about that. I also created a six-minute video on Facebook a few weeks ago that defines radical theology, and I'll drop it here in the chat if you're interested in um, watching that six-minute seminar on radical theology. Pyro, as I mentioned, means fire. Theology means one's concept of God. In pyrotheology, which again is Peter's main project or main school of thought that he is um, branded, um, in pyrotheology, one's concept of God is set ablaze, <laughs> which is basically what deconstruction is, right? We're all familiar with that term deconstruction. When you think about it, it's you know, in a sense, setting ablaze uh, your belief system, your your religion, your your certainty, your your what you know, your, the structure of your beliefs, and just as the end goal of deconstruction isn't necessarily the destruction of one's faith, so the goal of pyrotheology isn't to become an atheist, but rather the point is to uncover what's really meaningful and true about your faith, and to learn to embrace unknowing. 
make peace with your unknown. Um, the goal is, you could also put it this way, the goal is to purify one's faith in the same way um, you put you know, metal into a crucible and heat it up. You do it to purify gold. You put steel or iron into a crucible to turn it into steel, right? The goal in pyrotheology is to, is to purify one's faith of its toxic and unhealthy aspect aspects. The goal is to purify it of its lies, its pseudoscience, its, its snake oil, its fetishes, its idols, its nonsense, its, its prejudices and bigotries. The goal is to enter into a more honest engagement with the world and a more ethical engagement with the world. That's, that, I would say, is the goal, the end goal of pyrotheology. Think of pyrotheology as really as a really specific set of tools that one approaches deconstruction with. Think of it being like a contractor, a building contractor, carefully choosing which tools to deconstruct your kitchen with uh, before a remodel. Pyrotheology is a specific set of tools that come from the fields, primarily from the fields of psychoanalysis and continental philosophy. Primarily the work of, of Freud, Jacques Lacan, who are famous psychoanalysts, and Zizek, uh, a, a modern-day uh, philosopher. What does this mean? Well, it means that pyrotheology is grounded in this idea. This is the most important idea of it. It's grounded in this idea that the human condition is inherently one of lack, one of profound lack, and this frenetic pursuit of that which will fulfill us, complete us, make us whole, grant us ultimate peace and happiness in life, and help us escape our sense of alienation from ourselves and others. We basically go through life looking for relationships, careers, lifestyles, ideologies, religions, gods, whatever. We basically go through life uh, looking for that which will fill us up, looking for that which will fill up this, this sense of lack and alienation at the core of our being. This is, this is what pyrotheology is really built on. Now, this doesn't mean that we can't find some fulfillment and joy in this life. We absolutely do, right? We, we, we can find meaning and joy in our relationships or our career or whatever. Pyrotheology just teaches that we can never gain total fulfillment or even anything close to it. Therefore, it teaches us not to buy into this frenetic pursuit of fulfillment, which so easy so easily enslaves us. Now, the lack that pyrotheology is talking about is something that we're not entirely conscious of. And it's driven primarily by the knowledge of our own mortality. The fact that we are gonna die. You're gonna die, I'm gonna die, and there's nothing we can do about it, and we don't know what lies beyond, if anything. That fact and the incomprehensible potential of our own future non-existence terrifies us. It fills us with unconscious anxiety. We're not fully aware of it, um, the anxiety that is, which in turn feeds into this nagging sense that life is perhaps utterly meaningless and totally absurd. We're here today and gone tomorrow. You know, uh, what then really matters? I think if we're honest, we all have these questions and this sense that we are, you know, standing on the edge of a great abyss. And so in an effort to escape that terrifying notion and the nihilism and the, and the despair that can come with it, we turn to things like religion and gods, or we turn to gurus and, or self-help philosophies, 
uh, or sex, drugs, and rock and roll, or whatever. We, we, we turn to a lot of different things. Anything to escape the abyss, anything to cover up our existential crisis, anything to numb us to the pain of our own mortality and the potential utter meaninglessness of our lives. Uh, pyrotheology teaches that religion is perhaps the most powerful opiate of them all, the go-to drugs. Religion is fabulous stuff in this way, right? There is no problem. There is, there is no problem that scientists and philosophers can come up with that religion does not seem to have an easy answer to, <laughs> right? Is, isn't that what pastors and priests are paid for anyway? Uh, is, isn't that what people often you know, go to church for? To, they, they want the pastor or the priest to give, to give us answers, to assure us that everything is under God's control. God will right all wrongs one day. Everything has a purpose including our sufferings, we won't really die and cease to exist. Moreover, we can be fulfilled, whole and complete, even in this life, if we just have enough faith. Is, isn't that what religion often teaches? Isn't that usually its, its biggest selling point? God is the ultimate product that totally satisfies and fulfills and that meets our deepest needs. God gives our lives purpose and meaning in an otherwise chaotic, absurd, and totally random universe. Pyrotheology is very much a response to that and says, no, no, we cannot be fulfilled. Nothing will ever take away our lack and unknowing God isn't in control, at least not completely. Just look at the world, right? The horrific things that happen every day. Terrible things happen all the time to good people for, for no reason whatsoever, simply because the universe is, is a place of randomness and chaos, we are subject to time and chance, and not everything happens for a reason, a.k.a. shit happens, right? And anyone who says otherwise is selling something and shouldn't be trusted. Religion is, of course, often selling something, selling certainty and fulfillment. But pyrotheology, Pete's work, teaches that this is just a coping mechanism that allows us to escape the difficult and painful truths of our lives. What, is, what then does this mean? Is this the end of religion? Is this the end of faith? Is this the end of God? Pyrotheology says no, not necessarily, but it does mean, this is the trick, it does mean relating to one's faith differently than before. In pyrotheology, faith is no longer the means by which we escape reality, reality or cover over our anxieties about death and the difficult and painful truths of life. But rather, faith becomes the means by which we embrace and make peace with these things. Yeah, as that song we just heard from that Max showed us kind of talked about. Faith becomes the means by which we embrace and make, make, make peace, I guess you would say, with the painful truths of, of life. I think the best analogy for pyrotheology is a 12-step program like AA. We all know basically how a 12-step program works, right? The first step is admitting acknowledging that you're an addict, that, that you're in need of help. In other words, the first step is admitting you're broken and lacking, and, and you admit this in a non-judgmental space, right, with people who are struggling just the same as you. And it's in this space of shared suffering and understanding and, and total acceptance, you know, kind of unconditional love, it's in that space that something amazing happens. You find the strength to heal. You find the strength to get sober, you, you learn how to accept your brokenness and your lack, and, and you make peace with some very difficult things perhaps in your past. Rather than 
escaping it all with drugs and alcohol or sex or, or whatever. You, you basically learn to be okay not being okay. And you do so in community with others. That's, that's how Peter envisions how pyrotheology is meant to work in, in community like this one. You actually learn that you don't need the drug of religion. You don't need the drug of religious certainty to face your problems. You don't need to escape into fundamentalism or rigid beliefs in order to cope with life and death. You can find the courage to be, to really be here now, to be fully present as a human being. And this is an act of profound faith. Faith in life itself, faith in life's possibilities, faith in life's depth dimension, where we find awe and wonder and, uh, and gratitude for the little things, we, where we find beauty and depth in, in simple things like sharing a meal with friends, you know, hiking in the mountains, uh, strolling through a beautiful garden. I, I think Peter teaches us, through pyrotheology, Peter teaches that we're, we're to have faith and love itself, faith and love itself, for God is love. Faith, faith in, you know, the love of life and the love of others. Pyrotheology teaches us to focus on this life and this world as a kind of spiritual practice, rather than, you know, the hope of heaven and everlasting bliss beyond, because that's kind of, the truth is, that's kind of an escapist mindset and, and inherently devalues this life and world and distracts us from being truly present and investing our full selves here and now with each other. Um, and, and so here's the trick. I, I think pyrotheology actually does teach um, that we can find a kind of wholeness, not a wholeness without lack, not a wholeness without dissatisfaction, not, not a wholeness without some kind of brokenness, but a wholeness that comes from embracing the lack of our lives and embracing our unknowing and, and the frail and the finite nature of our lives. There is a kind of wholeness or serenity to be found here. In philosophy, this is called dialectics, which basically means that we find the very thing we're looking for by letting go of it. Just as Jesus said, to find your life, you must give up your life. So we find a kind of wholeness by embracing our lack. We find God or the divine or the sacred by embracing our doubt and unknowing and, and giving ourselves over to this life and this world and each other as Christ did. And pyrotheology is as much based on Christianity, really, as it is based on, you know, these kind of sophisticated theories found in psychoanalysis and continental philosophy. Pyrotheology actually takes its cues from this idea of the incarnation and the crucifixion and this other Christian concept called kenosis, this, this idea that God in Christ emptied himself out into the world completely, poured himself out completely God in Christ became mortal and finite, weak and powerless. God became one of us. God became human in order to show us that being human, finite and, and lacking and broken, is somehow divine and sacred and holy. This here and now, material reality, is sacred and holy. The, the kingdom of God is among us. That, that's, a, that, that's a pyrotheology affirmation, right? This is where we find the kingdom. For Peter, the, the ultimate symbol of pyrotheology is, of course, the cross itself. The cross is the ultimate symbol of deconstruction, the death of God, the death of the sacred object, the object that we think will fulfill us and take away all our lack, the object that we think has all the answers, right? This, this is what the crucified, the crucified God represents for Peter. In this way, to be a Christian from, from Rollins' point of view is to 
live into this reality is to embrace this here and now in all of its difficulty. We don't know if there's a transcendent consciousness beyond. We, we don't know if there's a benevolent creator somewhere out there. There may be, but we must live as if no one is coming to save the day. We must therefore become the hands and feet of God in the world. Pyrotheology is, is a radical call to, to our responsibility to each other. We must become the hands and feet of God in the world. We cannot wait for God to act because God is waiting on us to act. We must become the resurrected body of Christ in the world. In the wake of God's crucifixion, we must become Christ's body in the world, temples of the Holy Spirit. We must grow up. We must become mature human beings and confront life as it is instead of hiding in religion. We must crucify our idols. We must deconstruct and incinerate our idols, those things that keep us from embracing reality and the world and our responsibilities. Some would call this a kind of material theology or a post-theistic theology, but it's really a kind of mysticism. Pyrotheology, Pete's work, is really a kind of mysticism that says we can find the deepest and most profound connection to the transcendent right here, right now, as we invest ourselves totally, without reservation, in this life and this world, just as Jesus of Nazareth did. And as you, as you can tell, Peter's work's had a, a profound effect on me. <laughs> um, it, it, um, it's you know, been a big part of my spiritual journey, maybe the biggest part um, in my work as a minister. When I first encountered Peter's work eight years ago, um, and actually Max, it was Max that introduced Peter's work to me. Uh, so Max, everything is your fault. Um, <laughs> I, but I, eight years ago, I was at a place in my journey where I was, you know, really struggling with how to how Christianity made sense in the modern world. I was really having a hard time explaining how an all-powerful and loving God, explaining to myself and others how an all-powerful and loving God um, could allow the suffering we see in the world. Um, that's a struggle that started for me back in my time at Fuller um, 15 years ago. And, and I found with Peter's work, about eight years ago, and, and within the larger radical theology tradition, um, an understanding of the scriptures and an understanding of, of Christianity that made sense to me and that didn't require that I throw my brain out the window and that really called me and others, I felt, to, to, to love and justice, to investing ourselves in this, in this world as Christ did. And anyway, as you can tell, it's been really helpful for me, and, and, I, and uh, I want to hear from you now. Um, I, I'd love to hear you know, your thoughts and reactions, not just to what I said today, um, but, but to Peter's work, you know, as a whole, I'd love to hear how, you know, his work has influenced you, what you like, what you don't like about it. Um, you know, any, anything goes here. Um, does anybody want to, want to share or have any questions about what I said? I have a question. I'm just curious. Where is yes. Peter? Where is Peter now? Like, like right now? <laughs> like, is he pastoring a church? Is he in America? Is he in Ireland? Yeah, he's uh, he lives in LA. Um, he moved to Los Angeles be, from New York. He uh, moved to the United States. He immigrated. He's not 
he's not a U.S. citizen, but anyway, he moved from New York to Los Angeles years ago because this is more of like the center of where his audience is and kind of where uh, where it's where Rob Bell lives and Rob and him uh, partner a lot on different projects. Um, but it's kind of where his niche is, you know. As you know, artists, uh, a lot of artists live in LA. And uh, but Peter basically just podcasts. He doesn't really publish books anymore. Um, he he feels like he's published enough books. <laughs> doesn't need to keep doing that. So he does a lot of podcasting. He basically operates um, entirely online through a Patreon account. So people subscribe to his work, and uh, he just creates online content. But he speaks. In fact. Um, I'm sure we'll have him speak at Central again in the next, when we do go back to services, um, have him speak sometime at Central in the next 12 months as he, we ha he has a standing agreement with me to come in and speak on a few Sundays in a row. That was an agreement we reached pre-pandemic. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's here in LA, Rodney. Yeah. Other thoughts? How has Peter impacted your life, if, if at all? How does... Um, how, how has his work through me <laughs> impacted, uh, you know, this community or, or your, or your, uh, your journey, maybe? How many of you have done atheism for Lent at Central? I'm curious. Does anybody, some, some of you have done that, right? Yeah, yeah, Desiree, I see that, yeah. And that's one of his other big projects is doing that annually. I think it's um, it's definitely, uh, you, you put it well where I, I haven't actually spent that much time uh, on my own listening or reading Peter Rollins, but through you, um, I definitely can identify with kind of, um, with that idea that, you know, everything's, that the chaos is normal and, and that, and that there's not like one kind of magic solution or, or like God isn't going to all of a sudden fix everything if you just believe hard enough. I think that's um, been a really helpful idea for myself, for sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just uh, taking taking comfort in the chaos. Yeah. Helpful. That's the, that's the hardest thing to do, right? Um, yeah, I guess, yeah. For me, I guess it's kind of coming to terms with what the Bible really is. Mm. Studying um, books like um, who wrote the New Testament and, and man created God and things like that. So um, I've been taking these um, uh, YouTube courses by Dr. Andrew Henry, and he's gonna talk about uh, what is Gnosticism. Okay. And, um, so yeah, it's like, you know, growing up believing this is the word of God and this is the way it is. And yet, you know, um, never really knowing how it came together and who decided what went in and what didn't and things like that. So, um, yeah, just making me take another look at the Bible and scriptures and 
you know, I am the way, the truth, the life. What does that mean? How does that apply to me? Yeah. <clears throat> That's really yeah. interesting. So, so Peter's work has kind of made you go back and re relook at the Bible in a different way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I think that's, I think that's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I think ultimately Peter's reading of scripture, specifically his understanding of the crucifixion and the incarnation um, is a mystical reading of it. And I think it's, a, and, and a prophetic reading of it. And, and I think that's an important thing that Peter's work is often helps people do is look at the Bible as more of something that, that functions as, 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 as something we can use to articulate kind of where God is at in our lives today, rather than this static unchanging book, it becomes more of a way of us kind of reading it in our context and saying, this is what I feel like, you know, in a sense where, where, where the spirit or the sacred or the divine is, is at today or what God is speaking into our lives today. I think, I think Peter's work actually helps us reimagine scripture as that um as as that kind of fluid and opportunity to imagine where where the divine and sacred is in our lives today yeah i like that thank you randy yeah because there's so many different translations and interpretations and you know the baptists look at it this way the catholics see it this way jehovah's witnesses see it this way and they all think they're right <laughs> yeah and um, yeah and I used to be like that too. You know, I, I went to a real conservative church in San Francisco and this is the way it is. And we go street preaching and you have to believe like this. And now going back and looking at it, well, people take yeah, that. And, and, and the point is to wherever you end up with your faith isn't to reinscribe the idol, right? To recreate just another idol where you'd be like, now I have the answer. Now, now I have certainty because that becomes unconsciously you know, a way that we escape a more meaningful and true encounter with, with the lack in our, in, in our lives as they actually are and, and our limitedness, right? And ultimately, this is about embracing, you know, like, like a 12-step program, our limitedness and our lack. And yeah. anything, any understanding of scripture that doesn't allow us to do that is ultimately, you know, kind of creating a new fundamentalism and, and a way of covering over the truth of our lives. And, and ultimately, it's about courage and finding the courage to be. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Thank you, Randy. That's hard, though. You yeah. know. <laughs> you know. It's real hard. Yeah. Now, what do I believe? Now, what am I supposed to believe? How am I supposed to? You know. Yeah. You know. So I've been reading books on mysticism too, as well. Well, really, that's awesome. Um, Evelyn Underhill. It's really. Okay. <laughs> It like takes a long time to read one page and you know it was written in the 20s i think and and she's um academic so it takes a long time to understand it and digest digest it but well those are the best uh, honestly man those are the best journeys you know and it's so hard to like do that today because i think we've been trained by culture that we want we want all everything in sound bites and and facebook size posts and when in reality the most important and difficult journeys take a lot of time and a lot of effort. And, you know, um, the ones you're describing take a lot of time and a lot of effort. And it's, you know, that's part of the trouble of talking about something like Peter's work here today. And, you know, just giving like a 15 minute talk, it's kind of like, this isn't really doing it, doing it justice. 
it takes a lot of time and effort to really work through this theory and these theories, these very complex ideas. And, and um, I just really appreciate that you're on that journey, Randy. Thanks. And keep it up. Other thoughts? Stephen wrote in the chat column, one thing I've always struggled with since I was first introduced to this concept is how do you get to the point where you can accept brokenness, whether your own self or the world reality, the concept almost seems, oh, I hate scrolling with this thing. Um, hold on. The concept almost seems depressing, yeah. As if, well, this is what it is and this is what you get. Maybe the difficult part is the idea that maybe it's never going to get better. Trying to figure out a balanced way to both accept reality, but not give up hope that things can be changed or improved. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's it, Stephen. Yeah. Um, and this is why Peter's work is very niche and he's never going to get the audience that Rob Bell gets. <laughs> this is why anybody who preaches radical theology or pyrotheology is always going to be kind of on the margins because it's not really an attractive, it's not just kind of academic and heady stuff in some ways, but it also is kind of depressing to hear, you know, you're, you're kind of, you're broken, you're lacking, you don't have the answers, you'll never have the answers. Um, you need to live into that and embrace that, embrace it in others and, and accept the fact that you're going to die and uh, you don't know what comes next, if anything. And, but through the radical embrace of that, you can find serenity, you can find some wholeness in, in that radical embrace of your lack. And that's just not a message 21st century Americans want to hear. We want, to, we want the self-help philosophy. We want the books that say you too can be a self-actualized human being and you have a destiny and you, your life, you have a purpose and you're destined for greatness and here's four steps to get you there. And that we want to hear those messages, not life, life is shitty and welcome to the party and you know, face it with courage and live and love your best. And that's the most we can hope for. And, but in that, you can find some joy. Everyone's like, mm, I, I like the self-help stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's even, it's, that's it. Um, but, you know, um, I think this way is, fr frankly, I find more comfort in this than I, than I found in fundamentalism. The, the, the anxiety of trying to maintain those beliefs is impossible. And, and the anxiety of, of not knowing whether I'm missing out on God's blessings from my life because I didn't have enough faith or I wasn't, you know, just living perfect. I mean, the anxiety of that place, you know, looking back on it was just awful. Um, but anyway, that's, I don't want to keep talking. Somebody else want to share about that or respond to that. Aaron, can you hear me? Yeah, Doug. Oh, I have a question for you. Yeah. I understand the Catholics, Catholicism, Christianity, what I guess they're one and the same, uh, Muslims, uh, and atheists and all. We have our own feelings, and I respect that. And I think Peter Rollins has a different one. I've never heard him personally, and I've tried many times. I thought maybe it's he might be on this morning, but I guess I misunderstood. Uh, what is the downside of believing? It depends on, it depends on how you believe, uh, basically. Um, 
ostensibly there is no we all believe things you're right in saying that Doug Ever, even an atheist and atheism isn't actually is actually a theological position <laughs> you know to say to, to make a case or an argument that there is no God and you know that's that's a theological argument um, and that's a certain kind of belief and pyrotheology is as much uh, some ways as much as a rejection of any kind of strong atheism as it is a rejection of any kind of strong theism um, so there's nothing to, to be clear we all have beliefs and Ostensibly, there's, there's no, nothing wrong with beliefs. Um, depends on how you believe what you believe. If you relate to your beliefs, in a, and I, I know you don't, um, based upon my previous conversations with you, but if you hold on to your beliefs, I always use the symbolism like this, with like certainty, and this is the only thing that's true, and, uh, and this, this is what everybody has to believe. It's not just me, but everybody has to believe this, because this is the only thing that's true. Um, you know, I, if that's the way you- Everything's, everything's true. And not a fundamentalist, but I, I don't understand why, what the downside is, of believing. Yeah, and and I, and I think ultimately, Doug, the 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 the, the, the whole thing behind pyrotheology is simply trying to set people free from from certain kinds of beliefs, not beliefs entirely. It's not saying there's a. It's not trying to denigrate beliefs in general. It's not saying that there is a downside to all beliefs. It's simply saying there's a downside to a certain kind, a certain way of believing. That's it. So I want to be clear. I'm not, th there isn't a downside to belief in general. We all have beliefs and I want to affirm that. We need to affirm that. Um, th does that make sense? Well, it makes sense, <laughs> but it doesn't fully explain to me well, what is the downside. Yeah. The, the, the downside is that by, by believing with kind of fundamental certainty in your beliefs. It's a way of lying to yourself and others about the truth of our lives, that we are immersed in mystery and unknowing, we are going to die. And, and belief is often a way of escaping those anxieties and those, and those difficult truths. Belief is a way often, it's idolatry. It's a, it's a way of fetishizing an object uh, and saying that these beliefs, this object has magical powers. And if I just believe these things, everything's going to be okay. Well, no, that's not true. Um, you know, so, so the downside to belief that pyrotheology is talking about is that belief often functions like a drug that basically helps us escape or cover over the truth of our lives. It's yes, like, we what's know. that? Oh, that's, I, I think I've heard you say this, but I may have heard someplace else. Religion is man's answer to what we don't know. Yes. It's that yes that's exactly okay. i think that that's a great way to put it religion is is a response to the ineffable and and the mystery of existence and being and that's a beautiful thing uh, th th that's gonna be very clear that's a beautiful thing but religion gets toxic when it becomes a way of disavowing the mystery disavowing our unknowing and substituting all that for rigidity for fundamentalism for beliefs that that make too strong claims um, and it becomes a way of escaping and, and actually short-circuiting a more powerful spiritual move where we make peace with the mystery and the esoteric and the, and, and the ineffable aspects of our lives and the difficulty of existence. Belief and faith should be a way of, of embracing these truths rather than covering them over. That's all I'm saying. That's all Peter is saying. It, it's, it's some, does that make any sense, Doug? Well, I remember speaking uh, with a fairly, with a, probably 10 or 15 people in the front of the church. And I told them, 
I do not live like Christ did. Mm. And I told them, I do not hate everyone either. I have no hate for any individual, maybe what they do. Uh, but I, in that sense, I forgive them. All right. But I don't understand. Since I, am I going to go to heaven if there is a heaven? I don't yeah. know. You don't know. It's man's explanation in various religions as to what, how we can cope with being in this world. I won't go on any further because you and I, we've discussed this before. And Doug, I just, I just want to say you, I, I want to encourage you and say you get it. You, you may not feel like you get it, but you get it. You get it. You just, I want to encourage you with that. Don't worry about it too much. And, and, and to be honest, if, if we're <laughs> pyrotheology, radical theology, the stuff we're talking about, it's like quantum physics a little bit. If you claim to understand it completely, that means you don't understand it. So it's about embracing your lack of understanding. So, you know, you're always, I'm, I, I always find this stuff somewhat confusing too. So don't worry about that, but you get it. What you just said, you get it. So don't worry about it. Well, I'm still in, in limbo. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, faith. Uh, <laughs> I hate to get into this, but I'd like to hear you decide it again. It's about the uh, uh, horseshoe over the door. Oh, yeah, yeah, you love that. I know you love that parable, yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, and uh, Peter, that's yeah. not Peter Rollins. That's Slavoj Zizek, who is a big influence on Peter Slovenian oh. philosopher that is alive today. Yeah. But Doug, Doug, let's you and I talk about that later. All right. That's <laughs> okay. Thank you. Yeah. I know you love that parable. I'll have to send that to you. I have to find it anyway. Hey. I just want to give room for anybody else. We've got a few minutes left. Anybody else want to um, share anything today? Respond to anything. I'd like to say one more thing. And that is, sure, Doug. There is no beginning and no end. I, I, have, I have no idea of that concept. Was it God that created us? Was it Jehovah that created us? Who created Jehovah or God? All good questions, my friend. Unanswerable. Okay. Well, that's what religions do. <laughs> help, we co help us cope. Yeah. Thank you. Sure, Doug. Other thoughts, responses, reactions? Well, next week we're going to get into the, the work of James Cohn and Gustavo Gutierrez and the, the world of liberation theology, which has been as much of an influence on this community and me as at least radical theology or pyrotheology. So looking forward to talking about talking about that next week. And I want to thank you all for being here and during uh, what is a technical discussion in some ways. Um, but yeah, thanks for being here, everybody. Go in peace. Mm -hmm.